Starting today, the Buddhist Geeks Dojo, our Sangha in the Cloud, is open for training. Dojo literally means the place of the way or the place of awakening. You can think of the Buddhist Geeks Dojo as a training ground for the heart and mind, a place where you can put into practice with others those things that support the flourishing of mindful awareness, of compassion, of wisdom. And this isn't just about us, because we're nodes in the network of consciousness. We are the network. Our awakening is tied to the awakening of all things. So what the dojo really is, is your life. Your life is the place of the way. In the Buddhist Geeks Dojo, we simply train to realize this more deeply, more fully, more intimately. BuddhistGeeks.com slash dojo Buddhist Geeks Exploring the convergence of Buddhism, technology, and culture. What's the sound of one geek giving? Find out at BuddhistGeeks.com slash give. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Vincent Horn, and I am here in my basement today with Emily Horn, my both life partner and also work partner. And we're here today to discuss um, a little bit about what's been going on with Buddhist Geeks the past year or so. I want to kind of catch people up uh, that are interested in what we've been doing behind the scenes, what we've been learning, and also share a bit about where we're going from here, and in particular to focus a bit on a new project that we've launched recently called the Buddhist Geeks Dojo. So, Emily, good to have you on Buddhist Geeks again. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, and you've been behind the scenes uh, the last several months uh, having a baby. I have. So Our baby. Our baby. So <laughs> the little geek, geek, geeklet. Yes. Uh, so, someone uh, made a little t-shirt for him with a geek, a little baby geek on it, which is super cute. It is super cute. But uh, we're happy that Xander's here. And, um, and now that he's getting a little bit older, we're starting to kind of bring our full attention back to, to Buddhist Geeks and the projects. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about um, yeah where we've come from and then where we're going. Sounds good. And um, the intention, I should say, for, for myself is to give people um, that are interested in this show and interested in, in this project a sense for the learning that's happened as a result of it. And, um, and I'm hoping that that is both informative but also uh, helpful for people that are doing similar kinds of work or um, even different kinds of work, but who are dealing with similar kinds of challenges. Um, so it's a bit of, you know, that's, I don't really like the term thought leadership, um, but I like the term heart-mind leadership, like we're trying to lead with our hearts and our minds. Yeah. Um, so. And the ups and downs that that entails. And the learnings. And the and learning the, and the, and the innovation mistakes. and mistakes, yeah, all of it. Yeah, so um, for those that aren't familiar, um, Buddhist Geeks started in 2006 when a close friend of mine and I, Ryan Olke, Got together. I was at Naropa University. Both of us were, and we were students at the time. And we decided to um, start having some conversations that we didn't see happening um, in any of the media at the time. And so we decided to use the podcasting medium since it was pretty new and seemed pretty cool. 
um, and combined our skills, and lo and behold, Buddhist Geeks emerged out of that. And to our uh, slight surprise, uh, a lot of people found it interesting, tuned in, and so we continued doing it. Um, we did that for three years, actually. It was just kind of like a hobby project. And then at some point realized um, that it would be really nice to not just um, be sharing these conversations with you all, but also have you all meet each other. Um, because there were so many cool people we were meeting and who were writing to us and talking to us. And we realized this was a really unique and interesting group of folks who, who were tuning into these conversations. So we had our first in-person meet space event in 2011, um, the Buddhist Geeks Conference, and that happened in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And that's when I really started to get involved with the project, helping organize it and putting creative um, energy into it. And it was nice. It was um, really intimate, and um, I think it built a lot of good relationships. People that met at the first conference are still in contact. They came to future conferences. So it was the first little inkling that um, something like a community, I think, was being nurtured and born. Yeah, so it went from kind of a conversation, a private conversation that was shared publicly to really a conversation among a a real community of folks. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been an honor to to facilitate that. the other thing that sort of emerged around that time or just after is uh, that um, you and I both had started teaching mm-hmm. uh, in 2010, mm-hmm. and you're doing now the Spirit Rock teacher training with Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein and mm-hmm. others. And I've uh, been studying with Daniel Ingram and Kenneth Folk and the Pragmatic Dharma lineage and also with Jack Cornfield and Trudy Goodman um, in the insight tradition. So we sort of took all of our training and our kind of interest in teaching and sort of started to look at how we could apply that to some of the opportunities that we're seeing in uh, online and with Buddhist Geeks. And so one of the things that we designed out of that, we've done a whole um, podcast episode on this, so we'll just sort of link to this in the episode notes if you want to go into more detail, but we designed a program called the Life Retreat, which um, I think, Emily, since you were such a big part of creating that, maybe you could describe it for folks. It's a program designed to take place in your life. So we really wanted to give people, you know, some people can go on retreat and it's not a problem. And some people have a difficult time, you know, your parents or you work a lot. So we really wanted to flip the container and say, the life is your retreat and you can go deep no matter where you are and really start to come into some of the same insights that you would have even in the context of retreat. So we worked really hard to connect people and bring in that interpersonal connection of, um, you know, you had a one-on-one if you did the program with a teacher. So that interpersonal connection between teacher and student and then also peer groups, there was opportunity to connect with peers. From all over the world, it was really the first um, program that we really designed to, to be location independent. Yeah, and those are some of the key principles that um, you know, continued into future projects. Um, the next big thing that we did, um, this is now a couple years ago, um, two or three years ago, is the Buddhist Geeks community. Um, so uh, just a little um, rundown on, on what that was, um, because it really connects to the dojo mm-hmm. project. And it's interesting because now, with a little bit of uh, retrospect, we're able to see a little bit more about what our influences were, um, what the vision was, what mistakes we made, what mm-hmm. went well, mm-hmm. and what we're carrying forward from mm-hmm. that. So this is the first time we've really talked um, publicly about some of this stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe interesting for those that were watching it or part of it to, to kind of know. So the vision of the Buddhist Geeks community, you know, we, again, had had this conference and had a couple of them at, at this point. 
and really saw how awesome it was for folks to get together and have conversations with each other, to hear other people speak, to kind of be in that learning environment together. And so the natural next step from our point of view, um, both from having these immersive virtual life retreats and having these in-person conferences once a year, was to try to create a, a network or a platform to be able to continue that practice, that training, that peer-to-peer -peer relationship, that teaching relationship, and also those kind of interesting conversations that are very unique to Buddhist geeks um, throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And that was really the vision of that. And, and the other part of that, which was really important for us in our design principle um, process was that we wanted this to be uh, self-organizing, we wanted it to be um, decentralized, and we wanted to be focused on learning. Mm -hmm. um, so those were some of the kind of key principles. And it's also interesting because at the time, you know, looking at our influences, you know, there were some really interesting ones. You know, I was um, very influenced by the emergence of this new decentralized currency called Bitcoin. Um, in fact, uh, the kind of funny backstory to this, which I'll share, <laughs> is that um, around the second year's conference, uh, I made the uh, really silly mistake of not uh, making sure that BuddhistGeeks.com was uh, um, registered with a domain uh, server other than GoDaddy. And if anyone you know GoDaddy, and I know a lot of geeks do, you know, you know it's extremely annoying. So. I made the mistake of not re-upping on um, the, the domain because I wasn't tuned in to what was happening on GoDaddy. And so we lost the domain. And it, the second that we lost it, um, these Ukrainian domain pirates they took it. sniped it. And they <laughs> grabbed it up. And then they uh, got in contact and said, hey, we'll sell your, you, your domain site back to you. We were held you. hostage. Yeah, we were held hostage for $1,000. But it wasn't actually $1,000. It was whatever $1,000 converted to at the time in Bitcoin. In Bitcoin. <laughs> Which at the time, um, this was, you know, this was, I think, 2011 or 12. I think it was 2012. I remember you being like, what the heck is Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know what it was. I think I'd seen an article in Wired, but I didn't really quite know what it was. But I had to go through this elaborate process of... Uh, attaining Bitcoin and then sending it using like an escrow service, a Bitcrow service, to this guy in Ukraine to get our domain name back. And we were freaking out. This was just after the second conference in 2012. Um, and it was we quite had no scary. <laughs> that said, it got me introduced to this whole digital decentralized currency known as Bitcoin and the whole blockchain technology behind it. And I got a obsessed with it after that. And I knew it was, I, I, I didn't know, okay, but I had intuited that it could be big because here was this digital, frictionless, decentralized currency that wasn't backed by any um, central player. And I thought that's really interesting. And some of those principles seemed somehow important to try to apply to a Buddhist-based uh, sangha in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to talk about some of the other influences? Cause, uh, yeah, along that time, we were really influenced by Occupy Wall Street because that was happening, um, and Burning Man. So those are the two, those are the two components that were really influencing our design process. And we had another um, colleague at the time, Daniel Thorson, who was really instrumental in in creating um, the community. Um, and he had spent six months he was living, there, living yeah. in Zuccotti Park, yep. you know, in the middle of the Occupy Wall Street movement. So. Yeah. So I think that really played a role into how we organized it and how we facilitated it. And, and one of the things that we really decided from the very beginning that there was going to be no teaching within the community. So there was no one that was going to be holding a strong teaching role. It was, um, 
it was not a practice necessarily, a practice community. It was really focused on conversations. Yeah, conversation as practice as was practice. kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the frame yeah. that we used. And, you know, this, this brings us to kind of some of the mistakes yeah. um, because in some ways that the way that we enacted that vision of decentralization was the very thing that mm-hmm. didn't work. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason it didn't work is because in every community, um, you know, to go back to Chagim Trungpa's yeah. point about natural hierarchy, yeah. there are natural hierarchies. There are people who know more about certain things mm-hmm. and have different skill sets. Yeah. And so here we are, we're organizing this community, um, but at the same time, we sort of in some ways unintentionally destroyed that natural hierarchy mm-hmm. or we used our authority and power as the designers of the community yeah. to create a community in which there is a power vacuum yes. and a hierarchy vacuum. Yes. And so part of what happened is that people step, tried to step into that vacuum in a way that it wasn't really designed for. They tried to recreate for. the natural hierarchy because it always right. will return. Yeah. Yes, and the, and the problem is the communi- there's communication breakdown. Yeah. There's there's there, you know there's lack of oversight and teaching started to happen. And from right. an organizational perspective, it's like, oh wait, hold on, you know, there's a lot of liability issues. So we really had to take a step back and say, okay, what is it that we're intending here? And the other issue is here, here we are teaching along with other colleagues in the mm-hmm. life retreat program. Yeah. And what we really wanted for that program is folks who'd done a retreat to be able to continue practicing and come. And they were conversation. Asking, yeah, and they were asking for it. They were like, where do we go from here? Right. And because so, one of the original, it's funny how you sometimes can recreate the same problem in a different form because one of the problems that we were trying to to fill with the like the traditional retreat model is that in, out, in, out, and then you don't have connection. So with the life retreat, we're like, okay, well, we can really start to you know, bring people together even if you're not going outside of your life. But then here we are with the same problem of that container not being able to con- continue to connect people. And... They really, people were really wanting that and asking for it. Yeah, and as we were discussing this, you know, I'm sort of realizing uh, part of the issue is that we had this dichotomy mm-hmm. going on in our minds between, you know, Buddhist geeks as this media conversation and mm-hmm. Buddhist geeks as this teaching and learning community mm-hmm. and really seeing those things as fundamentally separate somehow mm-hmm. or, or needing to be flattened yeah um, and I think it to went, coexist. yeah I think it went back to like disempowering ourselves at the same time trying to empower other peoples and their voices and the way we were doing it you know it really was for me a big lesson and you know how what is power like how do we really hold our seat um, as leaders of an organization of teachers and various lineages and still empower people, you know, still really um, nurture the wisdom of, of the community, of our listeners, of the people that care about this project. So what is that balance like? And, and the, I've really learned that the more I off put the power, then the more, you know, people will, will come in, take it, and then it, it can be harmful. So. And it's funny looking at Bitcoin, you know, just to give an example, like right now as we're having this conversation, there's a huge drama happening in the Bitcoin community over two camps who are trying to bring the platform to different in different directions. Mm. And there's all sorts of issues related to power yeah. that are playing out. And in fact, even hackers are hacking groups that are trying to enact one vision mm-hmm. and are using their power mm-hmm. to try to undermine other people's power. Yeah. And here, this whole vision is this decentralization. So it's like we also, I think, 
in doing this project, really got to explore the relationship between our ideals, mm -hmm. you know, where we wanted to go, a yeah. vision, yeah. and the practical, pragmatic, real like uh -huh. way to execute on that and move in that direction without actually knowing where we're going yeah. and how to get there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny because a couple years later, um, I was asked to speak at this um, conference called PopTech. And the um, theme that year was Pop Tech Rebellion. It's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and you know, to you know, for those of that have listened to the show, you might know that in some ways we've we've rebelled against certain types of things, like certain aspects of Boomer Buddhism and certain aspects of 20th century culture and technology and things like that, relationships to technology. And you know, that's been part of our identity in some ways is as rebels. Um, and in other ways, we're not rebels. We're mm -hmm. very much interested in conserving and and learning from what's come before. So we're in this very interesting tension, as most people in the 21st century are, I think. But the host of the Pop Tech, uh, John Maida, at one point, he said something that really, like, it rung a bell inside me that would not stop ringing. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, when rebels mature, they build institutions. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, uh, what that made me realize is that, you know, with Buddhist geeks, we have an opportunity to build something that can last, that builds something that can serve people, build something that can be more than just a kind of a, a, a bright flash in, um, you know, in this interesting emergence of digital, you know, Buddhism mm -hmm. and could actually be something that, that serves an ongoing role in that. And that's scary, mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't, one asked to be in this position and just kind of happen in a way. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, um, part of what you're talking about with power is recognizing, mm -hmm. you know, when we are in a position to serve, like what are our motivations for doing that? Mm -hmm. How are we executing on that? What kind of shadows are we bringing into that process? Yeah. How are we actually trying to um, disempower ourselves, mm -hmm. like you said? Mm -hmm. And I think some of the lessons, you know, the community were very much lessons around the maturing uh, from being just like, a total immature rebel to one that wants to build something. Yeah, and along that line, we we um, finally got nonprofit status, so we're an educational nonprofit. So that has been a really interesting shift to be able to, you know, stand as a nonprofit institution, so to speak, and be able to continue to build and really have the vision of sharing and impacting people's lives for the betterment of 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 us all. So, not to get too idealistic. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> let's, uh, but let's do also acknowledge what went well with this yeah. because that, that's a good segue into um, the Dojo project mm -hmm. um, because a lot of things were carrying forward. And a lot of what we did, you know, some of it didn't work in terms of the structure and the decentralization, how we executed, but a lot of it worked really well. And um, one thing that we did from the very beginning that I just mentioned is that we used uh, really uh, an approach to designing the community where we co-designed it. We actually designed it along with the folks that would be the initial participants. And we used some methodologies um, from, you know, really from the kind of entrepreneurial world of um, kind of lean uh, lean design principles of having a lots of conversations with people, prototyping, showing them early prototypes, getting feedback, asking questions, really trying to learn, you know, about what it is that we're creating and what and what problems it was trying to solve. And um, obviously there were blind spots in that process, but there was a lot that came out of it that really worked well. And um, 
maybe you could share a little bit about what you saw, because um, you know, we obviously both have different perspectives and vantages on, on what went well. You know, one of the things that I feel like was working really well with it is people were able to connect around the conversations that they wanted to have, and you know, from all over the world. And we started using um, the Google Plus platform when it was fairly new, and there were still like little kinks and bugs in it. Um, and as you know, we've grown, Google has grown, so that's very seamless now. But we really enabled people to get together to connect in real time on video. So that was new. And that was, it brought a whole other dimensionality to people's lives and practice in a online community that hasn't really previously, to my knowledge, existed in that way. And it was interesting because it was, there also provided space for this cross-fertilization of different ideas from different places. So in, it was very fertile. There was very fertile ground um, for discovery. We also, you know, it wasn't a teaching community, so there wasn't teachers um, necessarily holding space. And yet people did throw out these called just sitting periods. So people from all over the world were like jumping in there saying, I'm going to go sit in this virtual room for a while. And people were connecting in that way, you know, sitting in front of a computer. And at first, you know, that may sound really weird. And we've had feedback like, oh, this is so weird. But then it starts to like, with any kind of technology that you use a lot, it just starts to be integrated and seamless into your life. So it was really providing, you know, the practice space and then the conversations and um, the diversification, the diversity of viewpoints um, and perspectives, which was really intriguing and really interesting. And we got a lot of feedback um, across that time that, that whatever people were finding within the Buddhist Geeks um, umbrella is a very spacious type of Buddhism. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's that phrase, big tent Buddhism, mm -hmm. which was sometimes used to describe, you know, how certain... Um, teachers of the last generation really held space for a lot of different lineages. And I'd say in some ways we're continuing that, but also trying to extend that um, because there's something in the big tent approach that I often notice sort of assumes that all of these different types and forms of Buddhism are all doing the same thing. And in my mind, it's been more interesting to not, to, to not just look at how, where they converge, but also where they diverge. Mm -hmm and to make room and space for an exploration where there isn't this immediate assumption that in order to have all these things be together that they have to, have to all be the same. Mm -hmm. And that leads to actually more tension mm -hmm. and more ambiguity um, conceptually and practically. Mm -hmm. But I think it also leads to a lot more potential for innovation mm -hmm. and potential for um, uh, new forms or new kind of investigations to occur. Yeah, it just made me think of, um, you know, Buddhism has changed, you know, depending on the context that it has um, gone into, you know, China and India and Thailand, and there's different types of Buddhism. And then it's just changed coming to the West, and now it's changing again, so to speak, when it's merging with technology. You know, it's, it's going to take a different flavor because it's going to pull in so many different viewpoints. And perspectives. Yeah, I mean, the internet, in a way, is like is accelerated and catalyzed um, um, the convergence and the collision of perspectives yeah. at a scale that's that's just not been. And ever we don't known really know how it's gonna. We don't really know how it's gonna be, you know. And that's part of the spacious approach. Is uh, you know, for us, it's like how can we hold all of this 
um, and at the same time um, not know what it yeah. is and where it's and going. trust that this is bigger than us, you know, and then in some ways we're just creating this kind of container. You know, everybody, there's other containers out there, but Buddhist Geeks is a container for this type of exploration, really diving into the technology and how that's going to infuse um, this wisdom tradition. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.